One, two, three, four. Screen time, screen time, screen time, screen time. It's my screen time too. And welcome to It's My Screen Time 2, the podcast where two moms review the best and worst in children's programming from Netflix reboots and YouTube shorts to Disney classics and Pixar blockbusters. We watch, you listen. Find out what you can tolerate watching for family movie night, what to avoid altogether, and what you'll want to watch alone voluntarily. I'm Deborah, and I have three kids. Tony is 11 and Libby and Nate are eight. And I'm Katie. I have two kids, Jay, he's five, and Kenny, he's two. And today we are joined by Katie Kikafer. She's a children's librarian. She's our great friend from library school. And she's the only one among us actually making her living in children's media. So <laughs> we thought it was high time that she shared her insights with us. Welcome, Katie. Hi, thank you. I am so excited to be here. Thanks for asking me to be on the podcast. Uh, and yes, I'm the head of youth services at the Whitefish Bay Public Library in Wisconsin. Well, we can't wait to hear your professional insights on today's topics. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but you are sadly going to have to sit through this segment with which we begin every episode in which we tell a quick story about something adorable or sometimes awful that our children have done just to get, you know, the big mom stuff out of the way first. Deborah, have your kids done anything particularly adorable this week? Well, you know I love a good child mispronunciation. And this week, there have been lots of teachable moments in the news. And so we have been talking about government. And Tony kept referring to a branch of government. And I finally was like, oh, buddy, it's judicial, not judicial. Because <laughs> he had obviously just read it and never heard it pronounced. Aww. But you know what? That happens to grown-ups all the time, too. I We listen to a yes. lot of podcasts. Today I was listening to a podcast talking about the news, political news, and the woman kept talking about rhetoric. And I was like, oh. no, you say rhetorical, but you say rhetoric when you're talking yeah. about just the noun. But she did it again and again. So grown-ups do it, too. <laughs> yep, totally. <laughs> That's true. We must have been on the same page because I also have a mispronunciation story. Uh, not about a teachable moment, but we recently, or it wasn't even us, it was like a birthday uh, favor bag, because you know, that's all you get now. It's like you don't even get the fun of a birthday party, you just get the bag full of junk that people give you instead of having had a party. But Jay got a bag full of junk that had a Rubik's Cube in it, and he is very much obsessed with the Rubik's Cube. He's not any sort of Rubik's Cube prodigy. He does rather adorably call it a Reubik's Cube every time, <laughs> which I find to be so cute. And like I say it back to him the correct way, but it just doesn't penetrate. It is a Reubik's Cube. That's cute. <laughs> I miss kids. We don't have kids at the library right now. I know. Yeah. I was going to ask if you had like fun stories about some patrons, but you don't even have patrons right now. We don't know. Hopefully soon, but Wisconsin needs to get their their act together a little bit. Don't we all? Indeed. 
All right, so moving on to weightier topics, our screen time in the news article for today is a December 21st article by Soraya Nadia McDonald from The Undefeated titled, It's Been a Year of Big Change for Blackness in Animation. And in the article, she points to the release of Soul, which is obviously the big Pixar blockbuster that just dropped on Christmas, but also shorts like the Oscar-winning Hair Love and the new short on Netflix, I think it's Netflix, Canvas. Is it Netflix or Disney Plus? I don't know. Okay, well, whatever. I watched it. (laughs) So (laughs) she points to these three properties in particular to show animation is finally centering on black characters. Then she goes on to say that since animation takes so long to create, creators have to think of storylines that'll still resonate five years later, so they hesitate to tackle contemporary issues, and they focus on stories they think everyone can relate to, so it marks a bit of a sea change that stories about Black protagonists count now as stories everyone can relate to in animators' minds or in the minds of the entertainment industry. Uh, She talks a little bit about how television moves faster and has to confront the fact that white actors have often voiced black characters, mentions the recasting of Cleveland from Family Guy and Missy from Big Mouth. I found towards the end of the article, or really even towards the middle, that her thesis got a bit muddled because she keeps mentioning earlier projects as well, like Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, which we covered on the podcast a couple years ago, and also the Hari Kondabalu documentary, The Problem with Apu. So I guess I take her point, and I also think she felt like she needed to write something to coincide with the release of Soul. (laughs) What did you guys think about this article? I was kind of stunned that this was, I I mean, I didn't know that this was, Soul was the only major feature, animated feature to feature a Black protagonist in such a long time. And it's too late for that. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah, I think we, we, we don't have children, so we've been watching a lot of Big Mouth. Um, and... <laughs> And really enjoying the storyline of transitioning from Jenny Slate to the new voice actor who is Black, whose name I'm unfortunately forgetting right now. But yeah, I think this, I, I also think it's, like Deborah said, it, it just takes, it takes too much time, but that's also not an excuse. Like the fact that we're still here after Princess and the Frog came out in 2009, and that isn't a contemporary story. I think that's the other thing in children's lit. You're getting a lot of a lot of feedback about we need not just fairy tales, we need not just like black trauma, we need joyful stories. That's why I loved Hair Love. I thought mm-hmm. it was it was just such a nice little snippet. And that of course is based on a picture book. So Yeah, I wanna see that. I haven't watched that. Yeah, we just need regular old stories with mm-hmm. all kinds of people in them. Yes, and I think that segues really nicely into the topic for today's podcast. But instead of segueing nicely, (laughs) (laughs) let me first ask you if you have any follow-up from our last episode, Katie. So we recorded this whole episode about Supermarket Sweep, and it was a fun episode to record and talk about 
issues of food advertising and everything in today's media landscape, but we never once addressed the way that Leslie Jones pronounces supermarket sweep in every episode, which is like supermarket sweep. (laughs) (laughs) I can't even do it. Like I'm trying not to be too loud. It's awesome. It was one of my favorite parts. Um, I'm sorry that you were not able to find a supercut on YouTube. <laughs> oh, I was so, I thought for sure that other people had to have seized on that as like an awesome little tweak that she made to the formula, but no, apparently it's just me. <laughs> you also have a note on here wondering if our listeners can weigh in, should we review We Can Be Heroes on Netflix? Because you watched a bit of it over the weekend. I have to tell you, my kids watched it twice. Mm-hmm over winter break they got to watch a movie every night and they chose to watch that two nights in a row so it must be it must have some slapstick humor in it because that is what they want to watch I think it definitely has a similar plot to the secret society of second born royals which we covered on the podcast and were quite disappointed with it seems to me like we can be heroes tackle similar ideas in a more successful way so I don't know if it'd be retreading the same ground for us to cover it. Listeners, if you have any feelings about whether you want us to talk about Christian Slater's first foray into children's television, let us know. So now our main topic for today, Over the Moon. It's an animated movie from Netflix that debuted October 23, 2020. It was directed by Glenn Keane, who's an animator responsible for some of the iconic characters from our childhoods, like Ariel the Beast, Pocahontas, Aladdin, and John Cars is an animator on all the Pixar classics like Monsters, Inc., Ratatouille, The Incredibles, and this is their first feature together. It was written by Audrey Wells, who also wrote The Hate You Give. I read that book, even though I don't normally read YA, and I really liked it, and I watched it with no, I read it for my book club and then my book club had a movie night and they I didn't make it to that and they panned it. Did you guys read or watch that movie? I read the book. I haven't seen the movie. And I think we should probably specify that Audrey Wells wrote the screenplay treatment for the book, not the book. Oh, okay. Got it. But the consensus is that it's a really good book? The yes. book is really good. Yeah. The book is wonderful. So this is Over the Moon hits kind of the sweet spot for an animated movie. Um, Because it's 90 minutes long, which is a length that we love. It (laughs) features voice talent that we love, like John Cho, Margaret Cho, Philippa Sue, Sandra Oh. And the plot revolves around Fei-Fei, who is a young girl seeking to prove that true love is eternal and prevent her widowed father from remarrying. She builds a rocket to the moon and visits an immortal moon goddess who has pined for her true love for centuries. And we picked it because KDK, you texted us and said it was really good. Yes, I think I I said that I cried my face off, which (laughs) is how I usually respond to most animated movies, but I really liked it. (laughs) Which of course made me nervous from the jump because we all know that I don't like to cry right now. It was a cathartic cry. (laughs) It's been like at the top of my Netflix recommendations for a while. So this is a good time to watch it like right after the holidays when we're getting ready for a new new time in our lives. 
Um, and John Cho is in it too. Yeah, we can't say that enough. John Cho, John Cho, John Cho. John Cho. <laughs> John Cho. So let's get into it. Basic question for everyone. Did you like it? Katie, do you want to kick us off? I did like it. I watched it again so that I could watch it without crying. I still cried, but at least <laughs> I could keep my wits about me. I, and I think we'll talk about this more, but I, I think it was, you know, centered in that classic Disney Pixar, you know, the, the golden age in the 90s, but brought us a lot of great new things that we haven't seen before um, and were really refreshing. And I, yeah, I, I had a few, a few issues in rewatching it, but I still walked away really, really happy. Deborah, how about you? I liked it a lot. I thought it was really sad at first and I didn't know how it was going to turn itself around. So that tension was made it more exciting Mm -hmm. and I liked the characters I liked the actors um yeah overall I enjoyed it how about you Katie I really liked the first I guess would you say third of the movie that took place in contemporary China and was the sad part about Fei-Fei losing her mom and then feeling really threatened when her dad John Cho started dating a new woman I really really like that part and I think that it really is sort of Wizard of Ozzy in that way that you get the first portion of the movie set in contemporary times and then the remaining two-thirds of the movie pretty much are set in this fantastical moon world that is full of all these neon colors and these uh, the physics doesn't really resemble reality or really what it would be on the actual moon and you have this interaction with a goddess. So it's very... It's a very stark contrast, and I'm wondering if you guys thought that worked smoothly, if that was successful for you, or if you felt like I did that one part of the movie was much more successful than the other. <laughs> I So in rewatching it, I I wanted more in Fei-Fei's world in China. I, I wanted more with her family. I wanted more with Bungie. I wanted more interaction with her and Chin. Uh, I loved her her school and I loved her her science and that great science montage. And then it's like we took all these little characters and we separated them. I still think it worked. And I think, you know, Gobi was someone who I begrudgingly liked. I, I thought he was kind of a um the snowman from from Frozen. Yes, mm-hmm. and Olaf. Yes, he was sort of an Olaf knockoff. But he won me over, and I think, you know. I think Ken Jong kind of won me over, but yeah, I, I wanted more from from the first third. You know I love the processy stuff, and you know I just wanted 90 minutes about Fei-Fei figuring out how to build a rocket, and I thought that was awesome, but then once it became like more fantastical, and it wasn't even about how her rocket actually worked, I felt a little cheated. Deborah, what did you think? I also loved the rocket, and she... If you haven't seen the movie, she like shrouds it in a bunny costume (laughs) as camouflage kind of. And that's really adorable. I also didn't like the moon setting as much as the first half. Okay. When they land on the moon and they crash and their helmets come off, did you have like a sinking? They're going to suffocate because there's no atmosphere on the moon. Wow. You really thought it was going to go that dark? I had trouble suspending my disbelief that they could just walk around on the moon without 
breathing apparatuses. Right, because it wasn't immediately clear that it was going to be this separate fantasy world. Mm -hmm. Especially because there was so much science as she was building the rocket. Yes! Yes! And then we get to this place that looks very much like a moon that actually exists. And yeah, I I thought the same thing. I was worried about the frog. I felt like he was the first to go. (laughs) Yeah. Did you think the movie effectively communicated the core themes like love is not finite and loving one person doesn't take away the love you have for other people or also the theme of you know your family is a family that you make it doesn't have to be the family that you're born with did you feel like those came across strongly or were appropriately centered so I thought way too much about the blending of families and how absolutely poorly that was done (laughs) and I don't know if that's because I mean I have before I met my now husband, I dated a lot. (laughs) And I think about, you know, dating a single dad and, you know, this, the new girlfriend, she also has a son. And the fact that I'm going to introduce you (laughs) to our special guest right before a family celebration that is very important to our family. And Also, there's going to be her son here, and I'm not going to introduce him. You're just going to run into him, and then he is going to tell you all kinds of things about this relationship that their parents have together, and then let's go have dinner with our family. Like, I I think that it made it really hard for me to get over that because I think Baba is such a caring figure. At the beginning, he, you know, he, and I think, you know, we're all doing the best that we can, but there were so many red flags um, that that's also, I think, why I wanted to stay in the world. I wanted to see more of their relationship develop. Yeah, you wanted to rehabilitate John Cho and believe that he was a good dad and not thoughtless. So (laughs) handsome. You're right. I think that was very poorly handled. I also think just the larger theme that they were trying to, because Feifei is a reconciliation with her stepbrother's name is Chin, right? Like her acceptance of him as her brother. You can tell that that's a big point they're trying to make, but for a big chunk of the movie, they don't even talk about it. And then at the end, it's supposed to be this big emotional payoff, which I did not Mm -hmm. feel. I agree. Although, Katie, clearly you had some emotional feelings because you cried. I cried a lot. Um, (laughs) And I did. I appreciated the chamber of exquisite sadness. I think they pulled it together at the end. Um, I was a little muddy on the story of Chunga and, um, and is it like one opportunity for her to get her love back? Is it you know, is this, this, does this happen every time there's the moon festival? Is there, you know, why didn't he stay? But I think the fact that they could have this very meaningful moment at the end in the chamber of exquisite sadness, which made me laugh a little bit. I thought that was, I think that heart to heart is what we needed. We needed to have more emotional connection between the two of them. But it came so late. And to me, wasn't the point of the movie Feifei's journey from Mm -hmm. being stuck in her grief for her mother to accepting that her family was moving to this new phase. I just, I did not see that with very few exceptions until like the final 10 minutes with this chamber of exquisite sadness 
where they seem to tie everything up with a neat bow. I just don't think there was much of an arc there. Deborah, what did you think? I found it a little confusing, but I thought that maybe I hadn't been paying attention well enough. And I thought <laughs> I missed something because I, she's like looking for the missing piece, the moon goddess. And then it finally turns up in a moon cake. And I didn't understand what the missing piece was going to do. Did Fei Fei know that there was a missing piece in the moon cake? Who put it there? <laughs> and then this like handsome ghost guy shows up. <laughs> For like a split second, just to make everyone sad. And <laughs> sings this beautiful duet with her, which I loved, and then was like, okay, I got to go. Yeah. <laughs> Get over it. Was it was sad, even though I didn't. Yes really feel like I completely understood what was going on like it was emotionally resonant mm -hmm. I, I think that Disney knows how to push push the the emotion buttons or and this isn't isn't Disney but certainly like Disney pedigree or whatever right um yeah and I think that's that's where it gets me like you can hit a certain note you can have a little phrase of a song if you take that sad line and bring it back to me I will just cry my face off <laughs> so do you think any positive feelings we have for this movie are just conditioning like because we know how the plot of a children's movie is supposed to make us feel we obligingly felt those things I don't Possibly? know I didn't feel like this plot was predict predictable no and I felt like it was totally jagged and put together poorly and the characters were poorly developed but was I still crying towards the end can I still like readily identify the through line that they wanted me to take away yes <laughs> <laughs> should we move on to the casting characters sure maybe I'm sure. being a little cruel to the script and the holes there <laughs> so maybe we can find some joy in our heart for some of these very famous people that contributed their voices to these characters did anyone stand out to you Deborah Jancho? I love John Cho. He can do no wrong, even if his character is a bit of a fumbler of the blended family conversation. <laughs> Sandra Oh was the stepmom, and I would have liked more of her. Mm -hmm. I thought she was really good. And what's the little green guy's name again? Gobi. Uh, Gobi. Yeah, he kind of, he like you guys were saying. He grew on me, and I really loved the stepbrother. I thought he was adorable. Yes. He did all the pranky, annoying stuff that little stepbrothers are supposed uh -huh. to do. He was kind of a, a surprise star of it, I thought. And a nice breath of realism, because I don't know about you, Deborah, but I can totally see either of my sons going through an extended phase where they fully believe they could run through walls. <laughs> All evidence to the contrary. And just sticking with that. <laughs> Katie, how about you? Did anyone stand out to you? I, in my notes, I wrote, Chin, what a champ. Aww. And I thought he was just adorable. And, you know, certainly... I think also had some emotional intelligence about him. I mean, not to read the room and be like, we're going to be, we're going to be brother and sister. Um, but I just, yeah. And I wish that they'd kept them together, but we don't have to keep talking about what we wish had happened. Although I, I will say you have all of these great voice actors and they get two scenes, mm -hmm. you know, you have Margaret Cho. She was just like a gets, random aunt. Yeah. I think she maybe had four lines. I want more Margaret Cho. Yes. Mm -hmm. 
But I, I did, I thought the, the art, like you said, Katie, the article that we read, I think it was perfect for this because you have Asian and Asian American, American voice actors across the board in this movie. And we have seen that that's not always the case. And I, I thought that was, it was great. And they all did a great job. Was any of your joy at the successful introduction of diversity tempered by the knowledge that a lot of this movie was just made because Netflix wanted the big China bucks? I didn't think about that until I saw that you had written it on our doc for today. And that is a very interesting twist. So I'm clearly the cynic among us because I couldn't get it out of my head. I was like, no, I love it makes total this. sense. I love these actors, but I know it's just a crass ploy to get more dollars. But I guess it doesn't have to be either or. It can be both, and that can be fine. And I think it is more than we would like it to be. I think that that having, you know, we're adding diversity. Like, we're going to, you know, we're going to set this with diverse characters and own voices. How much of that is out of your own, you know, reflection and, you know, it's important for us to do this. And what what about it is I'm going to make some money. I'm going to capture the zeitgeist of the moment and we're going to make some money. I mean, isn't that the good capitalist argument for like how all societal change should be made? Like, yeah, it's fine exactly. as long as it makes people money. <laughs> yep. So you're, I'm, I'm just as cynical as you are. Oh, <laughs> bup bup, Katie Kay. I did read an article, though, about both this movie and Mulan, the Mulan remake, and how neither of them were terribly successful in China. So it'll be interesting to see if we continue to see these efforts being made or if we take a step backward in diversity because the exec's takeaway is that there's no money in it. Yeah. All right, so now we come to my favorite part of every discussion, which is talking about the animation and the look of the movie. We talked a little bit about how unreal the moon world was. And the whole time I was watching it, it looked a bit to me like a combination of things, like a throwback to the early days of animation before Disney, essentially, when we didn't have this sense that the animated world should mirror the physical world and animators felt very free to like stretch things in weird ways and put them together in ways that would be impossible given the physics of earth or the physics of the moon so that was to me a refreshing way to look at things but then the other half of it felt super video gamey to me and that turned me off a lot because i am not a gamer it is a big cultural blind spot for me, something that I maybe don't have an appropriate appreciation for, but every time I felt like they were leaning on those video game tropes in the moon world, like the whole introduction to Philippa Sue's character, the moon goddess, where she did like this dance number where she was almost like a pop icon. All I could think about was like the animation for like a Dance Dance Revolution or a Just Dance video oh, game. Yeah. And it just really took me out of the moment. I'm curious if you guys had any thoughts specific to the way the movie was animated. I liked the little, were they luminarians or moonariums? The little creatures. I think I they were cute. Lumarians? Lumarians? Maybe Lunarians, like Lunar? Lunarians. I don't know. That makes sense. <laughs> 
I thought it, I didn't have such a negative response as you, Katie, but it was jarring the contrast between like the real world and the moon world. To me, I didn't think about video games so much as I thought about music videos. Mm-hmm. And like that Beavis and Butthead movie sequence <laughs> where they take a hallucinogen in the desert and then they go on like a magic rainbow carpet ride. That's what I made me think of. <laughs> Deborah, your Gen X is showing. <laughs> That's a throwback. That's nice. <laughs> I, the ultra luminary reminded me a lot of like a Eurovision song contest, but I agree that set in like a weird video game world, the, the biker chicks reminded me so much of angry birds, almost to a point of good point. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I I thought, okay, are you going to get in in trouble with the angry birds people? Because that frown, frown, scowl. Yeah, where did they come from? How come they're not blobby, like, space chickens? I don't know. It was, yeah, if I started to think too much about the world, I took myself out of the world. Real absence of world Can they get sued by angry birds for that? That does seem like uh, intellectual property Mm -hmm. infringement. There were weird moments of reality, as far as the look on the moon, particularly when it comes when it came to Chang'an and her robe, it felt yes. so weighty and real and beautiful. And also, there were shots of her hair that felt so attentive to the reality of how heavy that much hair is. And then that was just contrasted with these weirdo like video game moving through space in a totally unreal way shots. The whole thing was so disjointed, I guess, is my point. <laughs> yeah, you have this floaty, bouncy set, and then you have this this character wearing these beautiful robes. They were designed by a famous Chinese fashion designer who did Rihanna's dress at the, the Met Gala in 2015. Oh. So they had her like design all of these things, and then they animated them. But I also think it doesn't, I mean, it's so cool when you think about it and what a great way to represent, you know, modern China, but it did feel out of place. I love that you know that. That's awesome, Katie. (laughs) I did a lot of research. (laughs) All right, Deborah, this is your wheelhouse as much as the animation is mine. Do you want to talk about the music? My thoughts on the music are that I really liked the Gaga-esque song that Chang'a was singing when we meet her on the moon. I thought the songs were well done and catchy. My only beef is that the range of the songs is really high. You have to be a really high soprano to be able to sing those songs. So for me, they're like unsingable if I got the soundtrack and wanted to belt them out. Except for the initial song by um, sung by Feifei's mother, There's Magic in These Mooncakes, or the song is probably called Mooncakes. I found that one hummable. Mm-hmm. I agree. I've been humming that one off and on for the past past week. I also like that it had a little bit of a Disney little town, it's a quiet village yeah. aspect of it. Like we're getting this great introduction to Feifei's world. I did not like all of the animals sitting on on the cooking surfaces. Um, but I, I loved I loved that that setting of the place. And and then of course all the sad things start to happen at the end of that song. 
So let's move on to our evergreen questions. What adult movie or show does this compare to? Katie K, do you have any thoughts? I was really stuck on the whole concept of making your own family. And I know this isn't an exact analog because it's not an issue of making a blended family. But whenever I think about that theme in grown-up television and movies, I always, always think of Sex and the City and how that was its primary goal was to really hammer home the fact that your family is what you make it, not the one you're born with. So even though they have very little in common, I was thinking about Sex and the City while watching this movie. That's a good one. I thought a little bit of that old movie, I think it's called Step Mom with Julia Roberts and Susan Sarandon. Mm -hmm. Yes. That really made me weep at the time. I also thought of that memoir by Joan Didion, The Year of Magical Thinking. Like the sad parts made me think about that. I still have absolutely no no (laughs) idea. I'm so sorry. (laughs) That's okay. We'll give you a pass. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks. The evergreen question. I missed it. No worries. Were you able to cast the gritty HBO reboot? So we have been using our Disney Plus uh, subscription and I finally got my husband to watch Hamilton. And thinking about Philippa Sue, I want I want Lynn Manuel Miranda to do the gritty, like hip hop version of this of of Over the Moon. I want like, you know, I want there to be actual peril. I want David Diggs coming in and like wowing the crowd as Gobi. That that's how I, I reimagine things. Some rap battles. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I feel like we need to have a bell when we get a mention of not one but two of our podcast casting favorites in one episode. So now we have John Cho and Lynn Manuel Miranda. <laughs> I really need to get on the sound effects. How about you, Katie? Were you able to cast the Gertie HBO reboot? I have been super intrigued by Aquafina's forays into more dramatic fare. So I wouldn't mind seeing a super, well, I would mind seeing it because I don't like super depressing things, but I wouldn't mind having out in the universe a very dark meditation on grief, causing someone to totally divorce from reality, starring Aquafina. I think that is so good. And I also thought of Aquafina. I think because I was thinking of like Crazy Rich Asians, because it's like a mostly Asian cast, and she was so good in that. My reimagining of this, I would cast Sandra O oh as the mom, and she would be the Susan Sarandon to Aquafina's mm-hmm. Julia Roberts. Oh, oh, that is perfect. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Although what is, and of course, John Cho would play the dad. Oh yeah. Who doesn't have a name. He's just John Cho. You know, part of the stepmom movie was the age difference between Julia Roberts and Susan Strandon. What do you reckon the age differences between Sandra Oh and Aquafina? I would guess 15 or 20 years. Really? I'm really bad at gauging these things. We can find out right now. I have a phone that's connected to the internet. What? (laughs) She's 49. She is? How old is Aquafina? Mm -hmm. Aquafina is 32. She's actually older than I thought she would be. All right, then that works fine. Yeah, I like it. (laughs) I approve of your casting. I would watch both of those and cry. (laughs) 
Was it better when we were kids? We did not have any of this diversity. The world that we saw on screen did not in any way reflect the reality. Or maybe it reflected the very narrow white Midwestern reality that I was growing up in. So uh, no, I don't think it was better when we were kids. I would agree. I was an elder, I am an elder millennial. So the golden age of Disney was my elementary school. And I just remember feeling really sad about so many of those movies because it was this young girl who had to leave her family. Like I remember crying, watching The Little Mermaid being like, why is she leaving her family? So I like that we're getting animated movies, like you said, with, with diversity and this you know, these new cultures um, that obviously aren't new, but they're new to so many U.S., you know, viewers. I, I love that we're getting that. I love that we had a little girl singing a montage about science. I loved that mm-hmm. we had that love song in both, like, English and Mandarin. I, I don't know. I Any plot holes or plot issues that I had, I just, I had good feelings about this. I was about to say its heart was in the right place, but then I remembered that whole capitalizing on the Chinese market thing. So I semi take back that sentiment. I don't know. Would you ever watch this alone voluntarily? We already know Katie's answer to this because she did. I did. I did. And I would like to thank my husband for being the one to push me to watch animated movies. He loves them. And I'm always like, I don't want to cry. And then oh, I walk away. I love feeling, that. I didn't know that about yeah. Stefan. Aww. Yep, he he he's like, I need to watch Frozen too. We need to watch it right now. So we watched it for Christmas after putting it off, and then I cried a bunch. <laughs> Frozen two is good. We were just watching it last night, and Kenny for the first time was really digging the physical humor with Olaf <laughs> in like the when I'm older number, and he was just giving these fantastic belly laughs. It was so cute. Oh, <laughs> uh, I would never watch it alone voluntarily, but that's just because <laughs> I knew it was going to be a sad about a girl losing her mother and I can't deal with it. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I did watch it alone and I would not do it again. I feel like once was good, 10 seconds on whether this is good for our kids or any kids. I mean, I think we can all specify that the diversity piece is great. Mm-hmm. I also think, because I did watch it with my kids, that the fact that the moon world, everything that bothered me about the moon world, about it being so poorly fleshed out, just was a delight to my children. Like every bizarro, nonsensical thing that happened served to hold their attention. Katie, do you ever get questions from patrons about media? All the time. Obviously, (laughs) book recommendation questions. I think it's more stressful to get a movie question than it is to get a book question because a movie question, usually it's going to be all of the family sitting down together watching. And if you say, oh yeah, this, this movie is great for your family, then when something happens that they don't like, they're all going to be sitting in the living room going, Miss Katie said this would be okay. (laughs) It's a lot of stress. Um, So yeah, I think I use common sense media with a grain of salt a lot to figure out what, what potential pitfalls there might be. And I think I would recommend this. Obviously there is, I think for a lot of sensitive kids, I was that sensitive kid, you know, still am. And it basically, I think, you know, that, 
the sadness, um, you, you kick it off with that. And I think if you can get through that, I like that the, you know, there is some action, there's that mild peril, but it's not, it's very low stakes because everything is so squishy and gravity doesn't seem to be a thing mm-hmm. uh, in the, the little made up world. Um, so I think I would recommend it, but yeah, just if, if your kid is sensitive, this could be a rough one. <laughs> Good point. So quick follow up on the sadness up front. Like, where do you think this falls on a scale? Because most Disney, we keep calling this a Disney movie because it has Mm -hmm. so much of the same DNA. They often begin with losing a parent or losing both parents, sometimes in pretty traumatic ways. So would you call this comparable or worse because it's so much of a focus of the plot? That is a good question. I think it's it's handled very like it it's handled very delicately. Like you don't it, it's not like Mufasa where it is this incredibly traumatic event. Like it's almost a quieter thing because mm-hmm. it's happening at the end of a song. You know, you don't see dialogue between her and her dad when he's coming to comfort her. Um so I even wonder if like it might get missed if you were a really young child where you're just like I'm here for the music or I'm here for for Gobi. So maybe that would be better. I don't know. I would think it's fine for my kids, but we're at the point in the pandemic where they take all my recommendations and they stomp on them and they tear them up and they throw them in the garbage and then they set the garbage on fire. (laughs) So they don't care what I think. (laughs) It's good for them. So do you have to like go to length? to trick them i've just given up on their media consumption on the, <laughs> like for movie nights we don't have family movie nights anymore <laughs> oh now's where the rubber hits the road should we do ratings katie we won't make you go first deborah what did you think i would give it a four solid solid mm-hmm. i'd probably go 3.5 i just couldn't get my head out of the plot but um there were definitely a lot. There was definitely a lot to like about it. Katie, how about you? We're on a one to five scale. I would also say a four. Definitely plot holes. Uh, if I thought about it too much, I I I got too confused. But I still really enjoyed it, and I thought I think it brings a lot of great new energy to the world of animated features. Well, on that note. Thank you for listening to this episode of It's My Screen Time 2. And thank you again to Katie Keekafer for joining us today. Katie, where can our listeners find you in the world or on the interwebs? Um, so you can actually, can I include my my Pinterest of username? Of course, yes. Plug away. Okay. So if you want to find some good activities for kids, um, both at home or Obviously, at some point, we would love to be crafting together, but you can go to uh, Pinterest and find me at Bookish Katie K. And I have process art um, ideas, lots of sensory stuff, um, stuff for teens, stuff for kids. It's all um, library accounts, but we have about eight years of, of pins. So come and find some some new ideas. And if you want to follow me on Twitter, you can, but it's mostly just reposting a lot of political stuff it's the same username but not a lot of great library content there (laughs) all right well please rate and review us on apple podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts and check out our website at myscreentime2.com you can still find us on facebook and all of the socials at 
my screen time too. And that's also where you'll find out what we're covering in our next episode if you want to watch along with us. Our theme music was composed and performed by Deborah and her adorable children, and our podcast is produced by me, Katie. Tune in next time for more real talk about the movies and TV beloved by kids and tolerated by parents. I don't know what was happening with my intonation just there, but it was fabulous, and I'm definitely (laughs) keeping it that way. (laughs) Bye. 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 Bye.